Welcome to Faith, Love, and Therapy, a podcast to encourage and inspire. I'm your host, Jamie Johnson, a therapist working in the field of mental health for the last 10 plus years. And I am so encouraged today to have a guest that is um, inspiring me. And I wanted to have the opportunity to have a dialogue with her and to and for you all to hear her story and what she does. And with it being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I actually didn't think of that until after the fact, um, which is which is, you know, you know, I think it's a God thing. You just like remember. Um, but this morning, this after, today, I have Coach Morgan with me, a cancer survivor and life coach. She is currently coaching breast cancer survivors to be fit after treatment. And I just want you all to welcome her and to listen in today as we just hear her story and what she's doing to help those who have been in uh, or going through a journey that many of us will never understand. So welcome, Miss M- Coach Morgan. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, finding out that you have cancer and what what this journey has been for you. Um, And when when did you find out? We can start there. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I love the opportunity to uh, talk to any audience of any size about this topic, um, because many people feel like they don't have anyone to talk to when this happens. So I think touching on it and talking about it and providing myself as a resource is key. So thank you for being led and being obedient to having this time, yes? (laughs) Okay, Um, so I was diagnosed in 2021. Uh, So I'm on, I've been, cancer free for about two years right um and i'm i'm clapping and let me tell you the doctors don't really like to call you cancer free until you get out of this five-year window but i call myself cancer free the minute they took it out okay so in in uh, around march 2021 i i have felt a lump right and I had just gone to the gynecologist. So if anybody, you know, you go to the gynecologist, they do two things, you know, they're checking down there, but they're, they also, you know, feel around to see if they feel any lumps, right? And so the they were feeling around, but she didn't say she saw anything. She didn't say she felt anything. We just kind of moved on. So I'm thinking in March, that was in February. I'm thinking in March, yeah, everything's fine. You know, that lump is nothing. You know, it's, it's not going to be what I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I kind of waited, right? You're not supposed to wait. We all know you're not supposed to wait. If you feel something, you need to go, right? But in my mind, I was thinking I got way too much going on. I'm just trying to, you know, keep it moving. And I really don't want to, you know, stop what I'm doing, right? right. So uh, I think around, it was probably about around April or so that I was like, you know what, I need to go. It was actually a friend of mine. It was like, you, you, this is kind of weighing on you. You need to go, right? Yeah. So I go and I'm really just still thinking that it's okay. I've been for a biopsy before and it was, it was nothing, right? And so I was like, it's all right. It's not going to be anything. You're not going to see anything. And then when I go, they're like, I don't think it's that, but I'm going to send you for, um, you know, uh, ultrasound or mammogram anyway, right? Now, I've been getting mammograms since I was 29 years old. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. At this point, when this is going on, I'm 38, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have been going since I was 29, and mammograms always clear, 
you know, you kind of get used to things happening that way because of my my family history. So we started early and I'll get into that in just a second. Yes. But um, they they see they find the lump. They tell me I need to go to radiation. I mean, to go to to radiology to get checked. And I go there and the, the tech says I'm it's probably not cancer, but mm -hmm. I'm going to sit for a biopsy anyway. So I go for the biopsy and a few days later, I'm still thinking it's nothing. It's a telehealth visit. My mom is like, you want me to come over? And I said, no, it's going to be fine. I'm thinking they're just going to be like, it's, it's the news is, you know, it's, everything's good. Just like the previous biopsy. And there's two doctors on the screen when I get on the telehealth visit. And I remember thinking, why are there two people here just to tell me I don't have cancer, you know, mm -hmm. or that they don't see anything. And it, immediately they sit down and they say, um, I'm sorry, Miss Carey. Unfortunately, it is a cancer. And I remember that phrase because they said a cancer. Right. And I didn't know that there were different types of cancers, right? I just, you just hear that someone, you know, someone has breast cancer. But I didn't know there were different types of breast cancers. Of course, I knew there were different types of cancers because you can have cancer in different parts of your body. But I didn't know that they had different types of breast cancer. It was like, just thought if you get breast cancer, you just have breast cancer. Right, right. So that really stuck out to me when when they said it is a cancer. Now I'm gonna tell you, I don't remember anything else after that. I remember, I don't remember anything they said. I remember grabbing my mother's hand really tightly because it was ironically resting beside mine really closely. So it was like she was just there, ready. And I grabbed her hand really tightly, and I don't remember much else after that um, that they said. I just remember my phone ringing from other doctors shortly after that. And let mm -hmm. me just say the blessing in my case that um, many people don't, I've, I've learned in my coaching journey that many people don't experience was that my medical team was really, really quick. They called me the next day. I was in the breast surgeon's office the day after that, which was a Friday. I was on the operating table the very next Friday. So it was a whirlwind once I found out. I waited a couple of months to actually get something seen, but I, um, you know, as soon as it was diagnosed, I, I've been, I was rolling ever since. <laughs> wow. My yeah. goodness. That, I mean, that's one, you know, you never have the, we, we never have the thought that it will be. Right? Yeah. All the way up until and it sounds like up until that very moment. You never think it will be. You just never think it will be. And even though I had that that history, I was just always thinking it's all right. It won't happen. Even though cancer was always like kind of resting in the back of my mind. Um, I, see, I mentioned my mother. My biological mother passed away when I was a baby. I was about two years old. She had she passed away from breast cancer, and she was very young. And so, because of how young she was at, at her death, um, I was always considered high risk. And especially since you know she's the relation because she's my mother. Fast forward many years later, her mother diagnosed with breast cancer in her 80s, my grandmother, and she passed away from breast cancer. And so, you know, I have family history on both sides. One of my dad's uh, sisters also, um, she's still with us, but she has had it. And one of my first cousins, same side as my biological uh, mother and biological grandmother, she had it as well. So it's like, it was all around me. These diagnoses happened before mine and it was all around me. And it was almost like it was closing in on me like it's coming it's coming it's coming until it actually came right um but because of my history and because 
of how things happened in my life. I keep every day I tell myself, like, girl, you're out here breaking generational curses. Yes. Like, literally out here yes. breaking generational curses. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so walk us through. There's you you have, I mean, within it sounds like two weeks, mm-hmm. you have the surgery. I, within it was really within a week. On one yeah. Friday, I, w- I was in the breast surgeon's office. The very next Friday, I was on the operating table. So seven wow. days. Yeah, wow. seven days. And they removed the the lump. They removed the lump. I actually had a double mastectomy because okay. I was in the a doctor's office, and she they get she gave me a lot of options, right? Mm-hmm. As many options as she could. She was like, I can I can start chemo now and shrink this thing down, and then have your surgery. Or we can go in and I can look, do a lumpectomy, but it was very large. My 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 lump was large, so the lumpectomy was going to leave my breast deformed, right? Mm-hmm. Which I didn't, I'm gonna tell you, I it didn't I didn't really care about. Now I recognize a lot of my clients that come to me. This stuff like this is in the forefront for them, like what they're gonna look like afterwards, and are they gonna be symmetrical? And like you know, it's a big deal. Our, our body image is a huge deal to us. Um, when I went in, I was so shaken up. I really didn't think about the body image stuff came for me later. I didn't okay. think about it until. So, and my immediate response when she gave me those options was no, get it out, get it out and just take the other one off. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the other one. I don't yeah. want to deal with it ever coming back in that breast mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever's left over, just right. take them off. And she said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> but it's kind of how my brain works. It's like once I decide that I'm going to do something, I just, I do it. So yeah. um, it was a double mastectomy. And and I think she was saying, whoa, 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 because she knows she's been doing this for years and years and years. I mean, you, you know, well before I was even, I was even born. Right. And so she said, um, I think that maybe you want to think about this because, I, and I think she knew that it was because body images happen at body consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't thinking about that, but it did come later. It okay. came later. So I still, I help my clients deal with that on the, on the front end or the back end. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so what is, what is this? Because you said as soon as it was removed, as soon as it was done, now you are, you are declaring yourself healed. And what is that? What is that process like right after a surgery to get back to life yeah. as you know it? Or do you get back to life as you know it? You don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the things that I talk to my clients about is that you are, and I. it's usually like in the consultation, like first session, I just get it out there. Like you will never be the same again, mm-hmm. right? After mm-hmm. you go through something like that, you aren't the same, but that doesn't have to be a negative thing. I remember saying to my therapist, before I'm never going to be the same I'm never going to be the same and he said you probably won't but you could be better mm-hmm. and that line mm-hmm. just sticks with me because I am better yeah. I always say that it took me to lose my health to, to realize some to gain some things to realize some things and I don't I don't want that to happen to everyone but it was it has been a blessing for me and I know it's weird to say that something like cancer is a blessing, but I have found a blessing in the burden, right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. that um, there is life after a diagnosis like this. There is progression, right? There are still accomplishments. There are there's still things to do. So the it, it when to answer your question, right after 
a diagnosis and a surgery and treatment, it doesn't feel like healing. The healing is a declaration. It mm. is just that. So it doesn't feel like healing, but you are healing, you know, because you're coming out of that storm and if you're, you're all tattered and bruised and you still look like the storm, right? But you are, you're on your way out of it, which is a part of the healing journey. It has to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And so when did it, when did it click for you that you were going to, or were you already very much involved in fitness? What, what was the shift that happened? Yeah. So I was already a fitness instructor. I was a fitness instructor before the diagnosis. Um, I, I, Again, my love for fitness because because I'm a I'm an army veteran, and mm-hmm. so a lot of running, a lot of <laughs> PT tests and things like that. So my fitness journey started really back then, and then I just kept it going even when I got out of the army and I became a certified fitness instructor and I used to do um, a lot of strength training. But just before the diagnosis, a lot of that trickled off because we were in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the classes you know, ended and I really wasn't doing it as much. I wasn't keeping up with it on my own either. And I don't know why I just kind of lost it. Right. And so it's so funny. Once I got diagnosed and I started my treatments, my treatment plan, I immediately went back to it because I knew that that had to be a part of my treatment plan. Because I think that my ability to heal as fast as I did, the ability to kind of bounce back in the way that I did was really because of my previous fitness Mm. record. You know, Mm -hmm. I really think fitness helped me um, with the cancer journey. We don't, there's no evidence to it, right? But I truly believe in my heart that the cancer didn't grow the way that it could have grown because it was a very aggressive cancer. It was very, it, the lump was growing quickly, but praise God, there was none in my lymph nodes. Wow. It hadn't spread anywhere. It was contained in one spot. And I attribute that to a lot of my, my healthy lifestyle even before. Hmm. And I wasn't as focused on food before, but after that, I just, I became hyper-focused on diet as well. Okay. Okay. And so with, Cause we always hear, you know, vegan and vegetarian. And is that yeah. the, is that where, where you went? What did you, what did you decide was best for you? Well, it's funny you say that. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I don't claim, I do not claim any of those okay. <laughs> vegan, <laughs> vegetarian. I, I don't discriminate. Right. Because, and I, and I learned this during the, the treatment as well is that I had stopped eating meat beforehand. I wasn't eating a lot of meat. I was kind of a pescatarian, right? Mm-hmm. I would eat uh, seafood. But then, you know, when you go through chemo, you start to lose a lot of your um, your vitamins and nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. chemo is poison, let's be clear. Like it, 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 kill, it kills cancer, but it also kills very healthy cells and very healthy like nutrients that you have in your body, yeah. right? And so I, used to, I started noticing deficiencies and some of the deficiencies was because of some of the things I feel like they were missing from my diet. So I started putting them back. Some meat has mm-hmm. vitamins and things in it that you need, right? And protein from your chicken and things. And I know there are people out there that swear by not eating animals and eating meat. But um, there there's nutrients in some of that stuff that, that I felt like I needed as a chemo patient. And so I started putting some of it back. I still, I'm not a beef eater. I'm and it's probably just because of preference. I don't have any science <laughs> behind that. It's just preference. But I do I make sure I get enough protein and um, other things as well. So, 
Yeah, okay. I don't claim anything. I, know. <laughs> I just <laughs> eating what's best for me. I eat what is best for me. I do a lot of um, recipes and reading books on like having an anti-inflammatory diet. I really try to focus on having an anti-inflammatory diet and building my diet with a lot of antioxidants. Mm. Okay. So where did, where did, were you coaching before the... Yeah, I was, but I wasn't doing, I was not doing, of course, I wasn't doing the breast cancer and I wasn't so focused on fitness. I was just providing fitness classes, right? And so I would go to these area gyms and provide fitness classes. So I was not coaching around fixed fitness. My coaching was really around career development. I am a, um, a HR director in my full-time world. And so I would coach people on interviewing, hiring, um, resumes I redid resumes so I've been a coach for a long time but the area in which I coached was a little bit different it was a different area of life which is you know career development and progression and I still dabble in that because people know that I do it so you know people will come and ask me but I think once you start coaching you just kind of can coach it's if you have the skills on what you're trying to coach on. And so once the, it was a no brainer for me when I was diagnosed with breast cancer that I had to continue to get this, this, this word out and how I had to continue to share. And actually a Bible verse um, came to me when I was in my treatment and it was, um, I shall not die, but I will live to tell the works of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I had to find a way to fulfill the promise, because I promised God that I would tell, I would tell what he did for me, you know, during my journey. And I was already coaching and he told me, use your tool, use the tool you already have, Mm. you know, and, and and coach the people. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's to me outside looking in, because, you know, by profession, I'm a therapist. Um, There's an element of coaching, but it's not it's different, but there's, there's some similarities for sure. Um, but when mm-hmm. I think of, when I think of HR and, and career and coaching and then, and making that shift to um, coaching survivors, coaching those that are, that are diagnosed with breast cancer, mm-hmm. I can see some of the skills translating, but my brain won't connect. Like there's a level of emotion yeah. that, so different. So talk to me about how that's different in shifting your focus and, and, and just how you're helping clients um, in this way now. Yeah, it absolutely. You know, HR and career development is a very professional and there's a little less emotion that goes into it. However, I am a special, I call myself a special HR professional yeah. because I start everything with heart everything Mm -hmm. I start everything with love right and I hence love to life coaching right because I am love right and I start I start everything with love and I do everything with love and so I have this ability to build rapport with people which is one of the one of the reasons why I really love human resources because I get to be one of the first faces that people see in the organization in which I work in. I get to be the first connection. I get to be the first source of warmth, right? And so I kind of lead with that in my professional life. Now, we don't get into the weeds of how you're feeling every day, right? And how, like, whatever your emotions are. So you're right. There is an emotional connection to the, um, you know, 
the breast cancer coaching that does not exist in the professional HR and, and career development coaching, but the love is there. The love is the same. The heart is the same, you know? And so you just transition that into just being open and sharing your story, sharing your life, sharing your experience and the emotional connection just kind of grows mm -hmm. and develops. So, you know, you just kind of transfer the skills, but one skill that you transfer throughout any kind of coaching that you do is love. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting because I, I actually did an uh, interview yesterday um, and that was the, that was her central focus too. Um, was that when I'm working with hers was sex trafficking, she provides care mm -hmm. and therapy um, and, and meeting them with love. And, and I think that is something that we all have to like grab hold of. One, it's a commandment, right? Yes. What we are commanded to do. And so when we do that, I, it sounds like all the other things begin to fall into place, yeah. right? Yes. Um, yes. So what do, what could someone who is in, taking your coaching program, what are they, what would they expect to, to receive? Yeah. 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 I always remind people, cause I focus a lot on fitness, fitness uh, tools, fitness uh, uh, routines and uh, practices, but the program is so much more than physical fitness. It is um, a holistic approach to focusing on clients after their treatment and diagnosis. So it's focused on physical, but it's also focused on emotional and spiritual health, right? So they're going to expect to get emotional support from me with co coping strategies, goal setting. And the goal setting is generally around the fitness, but we talk about all kinds of goals that they have because there's some people, there's something that happens when you are diagnosed with something that can kill you, right? That you can, you typically find that people have a new outlook on life, right? So a lot of the things that mattered before, like yesterday, the day before the diagnosis don't matter today, right? A lot of the little stressors in life that were getting to you before, they're not getting to you anymore. So it's so because you're not focused on those things, you can shift your focus to things that really matter to you. Like, what did, where did I want to go? Did, is there a place I want to visit? Like, is there a, a job that I want to work before I leave this earth? Is there a business that I want to start? Are there people that I want to get closer to? Your mind starts to shift to things that may have been kind of important to you before, but you were allowing other little things to get in the way, but these things become, you know, top tier, right? So I help them goal set on what kind of things have you always wanted to accomplish, but just keep getting pushed to the back burner, right? And then advocacy and communication, right? A lot of people wonder, like, what does communication have to do with um, breast cancer surviving, right? And because I'm also a communication expert, um, and I help people learn how to talk to their team, their medical team, because all medical teams are not created equal, right? unfortunately. Right. You want to get the same kind of bedside manner, the same type of information, the same type of reactions. And we all we want it to always be positive. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Not every doctor is forthcoming with all the information that you that they could give you. Right. Not everybody is coming and, and being very empathetic. And um, like I said, coming forthcoming with information. Some teams you need to interview. You mm. need to ask more questions, right? Because that may not be the team for you. Just because they diagnosed you doesn't mean they need to treat you. Wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
And a lot of times we don't think that, right? We just go to the doctor because we're trusting this because they have doctor in front of their name, right? But some I, I learned throughout my journey that sometimes you got to shop the doctor just like you shop every other product in your house and you, in your life, you know? If you don't like the way this restaurant is treating you, you may not ever go back to that restaurant. Yeah, yeah. We do that with something as simple as a Sunday meal, but we don't do that with something as grand as our health. Mm. Right. And I recognize there's something other things that I'm not touching on that people have to deal with, which is like insurance and the ability to pay for it and things like that. Right. But if you do have insurance and your insurance allows you to pick different doctors, try it. Right. And then if it doesn't think of some other options, there are programs that help um, people who are, who are diagnosed with cancer financially. You know, there are programs that that step in and, and opportunities for people to get some assistance that they need. Um, my care team, like I said, was really great. I have had a client come to me so frustrated about the way she was being treated mm. with her doctors that she couldn't even focus on fighting the disease yet because she didn't like the way she was being treated. And I recommended, I said, if you can, if your insurance will allow it, go see my team. And she wound up getting care from my full team. Wow. Right? So that those are the kinds of things that um, they're going to, to expect to get from me in the realm of communication, learning what questions to ask, what key phrases to look for when you're at the doctor, what what to say for yourself, how to advocate for yourself on, you know, with your team, some ideas and recommendations on how to show up when you go to treatment. Mm. Um, I coach while providing information and suggestions on how to move through this journey. Yeah. 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 That is so helpful because I, you know, you're right. When we think about, I'm a person that, yes, if I don't like my provider, I'm going to look for a new provider. But I think in, in the matter of something uh, like a team, it seems mm-hmm. different, right? It seems like, okay, yeah. these are the people that I have to, this is what's available to me. Yes. Um, and it, to hear you say, no, that's not that's not the case. You can remove a whole team of people if that- you If you working. want. Yeah, yeah. If it's not working for you, you can say, okay, I'm not going to this team anymore. I'm gonna figure out another another medical system that can, that can help me, you know, yeah. it's up to you. Your, your, your health is up to you, your health and your well being and your medical treatment. But a lot of times we think I have to go to this hospital. I have to go to this doctor. I have to stick with this program. And it's not always the case. And although it might be, I always say, ask the questions first, try to see first, try to see if you can go to another provider if you're not happy with right. the treatment that you're getting. That's amazing. That is yeah there's there's a you mentioned a, a, a spiritual element but too but also I wanted to tap into I know I saw um you were talking about the mental aspect of things and so how do you yeah. how do you guide and coach clients um when it comes to their mind and how they're they're yeah. processing this and and yeah so important. Well, the first thing I ask my clients is, do you have a therapist? One of the first things I ask is, do you have a therapist? Because I am not a licensed therapist and I believe in therapy, you know, and I believe that even if you aren't diagnosed, you should probably be talking to somebody because we all have a whole lot of things to talk about. <laughs> right. And then it's, we have a whole lot of things to talk about outside of a sickness and then tack that on you need to be talking to somebody. Even if you don't think you need to talk to somebody, sign up to talk to somebody because you 
never know what will come out in those sessions. And, and I mean, therapy has been so instrumental for me. I had a therapist before diagnosis and I'm so grateful to God that he sent me to that person because mm -hmm. he is still my therapist. And I, I probably will continue to go to him for as long as I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's the first thing because that will really help your, your mental well-being. when you're not in front of the screen or in the office with your, with your, um, therapist, I employ people to use the strategies that you learn in there. And if you aren't you're learning strategies to, to mentally cope, do not, don't keep going there. You need a new therapist, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be gaining some strategies on how to mentally cope, but then you have to push yourself to actually use them. Yeah. Right. Um, and it is really about developing the mental toughness. And how I coach people to do that is you're going to get knocked down in this journey. You're going to wake up sometimes from treatment and you're going to be like, I don't know how I can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. But one of the strategies that I use is taking it minute by minute. Right. We have we typically have these grand ideas of, of thinking about way down the road. Like, what is it going to be like when I finish treatment? Or oh, I can't wait until I'm finished with this here because I want to do this in three months. Like I want to be here in 30 days. Mm -hmm. All that is great. And we get to that in goal setting. But before we can get there, we have to focus on our mental state right now, because in the grand scheme of things, all we really have is the moment that we're in. Yeah. Right. That's all we have. I always tell, I tell my clients this story. When I was in the military, um, you know, you're doing these activities when you're in basic training. And I've always been rather tiny. Right. And I say that because there's a lot of stuff you got to carry when you're when you're in basic training, a lot of heavy things. And I wasn't used to, to doing it. My body wasn't used to it. So I fractured some things and like hurt my sprained my ankle, fractured a hip. Like I had some injuries in basic training, but I would keep going because I needed to get out of there. Right. <laughs> well, this one day we had to go on a, a five mile march and I had mm -hmm. we were going to stay out in the field. So we had to carry all of our stuff with us, the backpack with all the stuff in it, extra boots, extra socks, a weapon, like things that just get heavy with walking. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had already sprained my ankle pretty severely, but I didn't want to be all crutches. So I was just toughing it out. Yeah. And when you're on this march, you have to march in a formation. It's two lines along the road, right? I'm sure you've seen military movies where you've seen the people marching like this, right? We do, do that in real life mm -hmm. in basic training. So we were doing that and you have to keep up. Like there, there can't be a lot of space in between you and the person in front of you. And if you're not keeping up, you're messing up the people behind you. Well, I wasn't keeping up because my ankle was hurting. Mm -hmm. And when I would look up, all I could see was this road lined with trees. And we had a long way to go. Mm. It felt like so, and I was in pain. I, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm going to make it all the way over there. And even when I get there, I still got a long way to go. But you see what I'm telling myself? It's yeah. so long. It's so mm -hmm. far. I don't know how. So something happened in that moment. I, just, I looked down at the ground. And all I could see was my feet going one step at a time. One mm -hmm. step at a time, right? And it felt, I felt better, like, because I'm, I'm still going. I'm still mm -hmm. moving. It feels long, but I'm still moving. Yeah. And so that story is like a model for my life. Sometimes all you can do is look down and look at the pavement in front of you. Because yeah. what's ahead of you just seems too hard, too long, too, too much, like too much. Yes. But you, you can do this because you're already doing it. Yes. You're already doing it. And if you keep doing it, 
you'll look up and the pavement will be behind you. And before you know it, you will be at your destination. Mm. So the moral of the story is to just focus on what you got going on right now. So if all you can do today while you're in treatment is swing your legs out to bed and make it to the bathroom and back to the bed, that was the goal for the day and you did it. Mm -hmm. This is how you build mental toughness because you're like, well, once I, once you feel better, you did that, okay, now maybe walk downstairs or walk outside your house if you don't have stairs, you know, walk outside your apartment and stand out there for two minutes, then go back to the bed. You accomplished that today. Yes. Yes. So we're told, I start talking to my clients even during the treatment process where they aren't feeling very well and we're not running miles yet. I'm running miles now, but back in 2021, I wasn't running miles. Mm. You know, I was just trying to make it to the bathroom. Yes. Wow. Did that day. Mm -hmm. Then the next day I walked down the hall. And then if I didn't feel like it a day after that, I laid in the bed and I tried again the next day. You're, you're, you're spending time building the mental toughness. Been focusing on the moment. Yeah, my goodness. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. You coaching is in your like it's in your veins. <laughs> I can I can hear it in the cadence and how you speak. It just yeah. to it, it uplifts and encourages people. Um, and so I think part of that is the God in you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I hear all throughout our conversation, you, you, you've talked about the goodness of, of God. And I, I see that as an element. I see that you incorporate that as an element of your life. I'm not going to say yeah. you're, it's your, it's in your life. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you encourage spiritually encourage because to be diagnosed with something that could potentially kill you, mm -hmm. I think that there's the opportunity or probably likelihood that some people will experience what may be called a crisis of faith. Yeah. Where, uh, where is the Lord? Mm -hmm. What God? And I'm going through this. So how, how do you hold that space and, and encourage yeah. um, people spiritually when they feel like, and they are, their body is dying literally. It's tough. It's tough. Now, this is a tough one. Okay. And um, it's hard. This part is hard because we have a hard time with this in general. I'm going to use a word that I don't present to people mm -hmm. up front because it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the word helps us come to terms and have peace in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And the word is acceptance is a very heavy word and people don't like it. Mm -hmm. We don't like the word acceptance. Right. But we can practice it every day, even when we're not talking about passing away. Right. right. Or, you know, the end of our lives. Right. Because the truth of the matter is none of us are getting out of here alive. It's <laughs> the truth of the matter. So mm -hmm. if we just start there. If we start yeah. there, then we can kind of bring things to reality for us, right? No, nobody wants to be diagnosed with anything. Nobody wants to suffer. And that was my biggest thing was that I, I, I know I can't stay here forever, but I just don't want to suffer. But how I help people in these moments is I, I continue to tell them to lean on God because the only moment that you have is, is the one that you're in, right? And you have to trust that he has your best interest at heart. So no matter what is coming down the road, it's going to be okay. And even when it's not okay, it's okay. You know why? Because God's got you. Mm. No matter what's coming, God's got you. 
And that's you, that's you, typically how I help people. In the moment, I need you to stay in this moment with me. This helps them with the acceptance piece without me saying the word acceptance, right? Because if you're in the moment, you're accepting what's coming. You're accepting what's here. You have no choice because we're in this moment. I need you to stay in this moment with me. And I need you to trust that the next moment is already taken care of because he's got you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, yeah. that's, I don't think, that's for me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough because I, I, the brain wants to panic. The brain wants to wander. It wants to talk about, well, what if this happens and what if that happens? And all the what ifs in the world are only ruining your present moment. Right. So if you stay in, if you stay in the moment, yes. you don't worry about later. You don't, you don't worry about God's got later. Absolutely. You can go ahead and get your therapist license. You should go ahead and <laughs> You know, you're not the first, my therapist says the same thing. <laughs> you're not the first person. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's there, it's in you, um, yeah. you know, and, and because there's so many, there's so many elements that, like I said, that they, they cross paths. I'm a, I'm a licensed therapist, but I'm also a licensed minister. And so yeah. when you know, they're just things that just naturally kind of come together and yeah. comes together and the, and, and faith comes together and, and they all of that just is like, it's such a powerful, um, powerful tool, but it is, it is all, it is, it, I, it just reminds me of our soul, our, you know, mind, well, and emotion, all the things, all the things. It has to, it absolutely has to come together because if, if not, you're leaving a piece of the person out. Right. Because we are we're all like our being is all things. We're emotional, we're spiritual, we're physical, we're we're all the things. So if you leave one of those things out, you can't coach or or counsel the whole person. I just feel like they have to come together. I'm not sure how people are out here doing doing it without <laughs> using all the things. <laughs> right. I don't I don't know either. I, I you know, I, I could guess that they think, you know, some things are going to, you know, um help but they're neglecting they're neglecting yeah. big parts of themselves um which i think also makes makes individuals very ill um yeah but yeah I, th I think what you're doing is oh my goodness it is so necessary because <clears throat> when i think of and I, I shared before we got on i had a great aunt that passed away from cancer and she was older however she wasn't 90 right she wasn't right. right and so I don't recall I have very I have several memories about that time period of her being um sick and she did do chemo mm -hmm. but I don't remember I wish there was just more of this then right yeah. more conversations and um and I think what you're doing now is giving people the opportunity to experience hope when yeah. immediately there's the feeling of dread. Yeah. You know? And and you know, let me tell you, when my when my mother, my biological mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, I was I was very young. She was actually pregnant with me. Mm. And they told her, this is why I know God, I'm I'm supposed to be here. Whatever yeah. I'm like the reason I'm I'm supposed to be here. Okay. She was pregnant with me and the doctors, they told her to the only way you're going to be able to get treatment is to abort the pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously she didn't. 
And by the time she gave birth to me, of course, cancer doesn't stop spreading because you're pregnant. It doesn't take a break, right? So of course, um, it hit spread and she was very ill. She did start treatment after that, but she didn't have, from what I've been, I've been told is that she didn't have the best team, right? She had a doctor that just wanted to give her the most aggressive form of chemo there was. And, you know, chemotherapy has come a long way. Treatment has come a long way since then. I mean, we're talking about like 38 years ago, right? And so it, it has come a really, really long way. And she just couldn't take it. Her body couldn't take it. And my, my aunt, her sister often feels like it was the chemo that killed her as quickly as it did and not the cancer because they treated her really aggressively. And so she, she passed away when I was about um, two, two years old and there was none of this. There was none of this. There was the education wasn't where it is now, of course. And I'm at a little bit of an advantage because when I need to know something, Google is my friend. Right. <laughs> but um, there there. I wish there was more advocacy. I wish back then I wish there was more conversation because there would be less dread with actually going to the doctor to find out if you have something. If people know that there is treatment, there is life after cancer. If you because my immediate thought was because my my experience with cancer is that everybody dies right? Because most of the people that have had it were older, you know, and it was before cancer treatment has come so far and they were afraid. And so they didn't do anything. And then by the time they could do something, it was too late. And that is the mindset that I have had of cancer, right? But there's life after cancer. There's life after treatment. You, you still have time, you yeah. know? And so you can you can thrive. And, and you know, I follow a lot of cancer survivors on, on social media, and there are people who are thriving with, with, with all kinds of stages, you mm. know, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. A lot of times when we hear stage four, we're like, oh, no. But I, I'm seeing people who are thriving with it. Um, and I, I attribute it a lot of times to lifestyle, spirituality, mental toughness. Um, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, because and I'm with you because oftentimes you hear you when you people hear that they have a particular diagnosis or um, a cancer diagnosis, it is prepare, but it's not yeah. prepare to live. It's prepare, prepare to, to live. live. Yes, yes. And you you essentially are saying we're we're preparing to live. We are we are you know we're holistically coming together mm -hmm. to prepare for the life that comes after cancer. Yeah, because I still got more stuff to do. And I yeah. plan to do everything that is on this list before yeah. I get out of here. <laughs> I know that's right. Yes, yeah. I, I, I love what you're doing here. I mean, I'm inspired and I feel, um, you know, th those kind of connections where it's like, that is such God work. That is yeah. someone you're like, that is such God work. That is that is his hands and feet. It's his hand. It's his hand. And like I said, I just, I know he, he has had his hand on my life since conception <laughs> because I, I'm, I feel like cancer tried to, to kill me twice already. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother's diagnosis, when the doctors told her, you cannot continue with this pregnancy. And she said that I am. And then I came with my, my own diagnosis and, you know, it, I was not an advanced stage, um, but it was a very, like I said, a very aggressive cancer. Mine was stage two. 
And, you know, when you get diagnosed, they say they give you a staging, but then once they open you up, it, it could advance, you know, based on it being spread and things like that. But mine's had, hadn't spread. So I, I, like I said, I feel like cancer has tried to take me twice already. And I plan to spend the time right now showing cancer that I got this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. With I, God's help, of course. Yes. Yes. His leading. He's definitely leading you. Um, I could talk to you forever, but I, yeah. I, wanna, I want I to, <laughs> this has been but, wonderful. Yeah. And I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I just want to give you the kind of the, the end of this, um, episode to whatever you would like to speak to the people and then how can they, how can they reach you, connect with you? Um, if they want to yeah. join the coaching program, if they have been diagnosed, just tell them, just I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah. So you can reach me. People like to follow me on social media. And on Instagram, I am LLCoach underscore Morgan. I'm also on TikTok. I'm not as active on TikTok as I am on, on Instagram. But you can reach me on both. Um, you can also send an email to mcary, that's C-A-R-E-Y, at lovetolifecoach.com. And I answer it on all three platforms. Right. Um, and you can expect to get a free consultation from me for about 45 minutes to an hour. I talk about talk to people about their story where, you know, and I listen, you know, about their story, where they are, how they're feeling and how they think coaching can help them and how committed they are to starting a coaching program. My coaching program started six weeks. And so we spend six. If you want more, you just decide that you want more. But I always ask my clients to. Um, commit to at least six weeks because one or two sessions you're, you you won't be able to see how you know how wonderful and how much growth can happen and how far you can go you know in this journey with a coach and yeah and in the consultation we go over what exactly that entails but really and truly I'm here to use what God has given me to help someone else right that's that's my assignment my assignment is to help. And that's that's what I'm here for. And I look forward to helping as many people as I can with this, because unfortunately, so many of us are being diagnosed. I wish I wish that was not the case. And if I could find a way to stop that, I'd do it, too. But there's so many of us being diagnosed with cancer that we need this. We need someone to talk to. We need someone to guide us. We need someone to advocate with and for us. And so that's what that's my mission. Phenomenal mission. Phenomenal yeah. mission. Thank you so much, Coach Morgan. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Your service. Um, it's, you know, in the military and now, this is still <laughs> your service is so much appreciated. And, you know, you and, and all that you coach are in my prayers because I think, you know, it, this is amazing work. Mm -hmm. Also, it's it's a time that so many things, so many things go on in the body and in the mind that yeah. they need they need you. And yeah. so I'm praying for your strength so that you can, you know, continue to coach as long as you got it in you. Thanks. Thank you so much. And I'm praying for your strength as well. Therapists need a special, special type of strength. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm praying for yours as well. And thank you so much for, like I said, being led and being obedient to, to engage in this time with me because we do. We definitely need it. And as many people that can learn about it, the better.
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for joining me again on another episode of Faith, Love, and Therapy. We'll talk soon.